This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Progression over stagnation. And I imagine that this is somewhat relatable uh, to many of you. Eventually, we all get to the place where we have to choose growth over, um, or progression over stagnation. We tell our newlywed couples to continue dating each other, uh, to, to grow their love for each other, that it doesn't grow stagnant over time. Others are told in their jobs to uh, pursue growth so that they can advance in their career instead of staying stagnant in their positions. And if I asked for a raise of hands this morning for whether you would prefer growth over stagnation, I imagine a majority of us would raise our hands. Yet while this is true, growth is incredibly hard. Change is hard. And this is especially true when it comes to our walk with the Lord. All of us here in this room, I imagine, would certainly prefer to choose growth over stagnation when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. Yet growing more and more in our love for each other and our relationship with God is incredibly hard to do in action. So our title this morning is Choosing to Grow. And our passage this morning gives us a clear idea of what is required of us in making that choice to grow more and more instead of remaining stagnant in our faith. So if you haven't already, our passage will be found uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you haven't already, please turn there, uh, and that's where we will be uh, moving along. Before we get into this passage, I do want to just highlight a few things that are happening right now for, in our passage for the Church of Thessalonica. In the past couple of weeks, as we've done this series through this book, we've seen, specifically in chapter 3, Paul recognizing the sufferings and the afflictions of the church. He mentions that he is encouraged by their faith in the Lord and their love for each other. Paul goes as far as saying that the church of Thessalonica has played a role in comforting him and Timothy during times of distress and affliction. He mentions that he feels joy in knowing that they are walking with the Lord. As Robin preached last week, Paul's prayer for the church of Thessalonica is that God would allow them to increase and abound in their love for each other and in their holiness before God. So with all of that, we then come to our passage this morning in chapter 4, where we see that Paul provides us with the instruction to be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1, 2, 3, says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instruction we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. So what does Paul mean here when he says to be sanctified, when he speaks of sanctification? 
To explain this, I chose to take a definition out of our New City Catechism, uh, which asks the question, uh, what does sanctification mean? And all of you are going to see this question asked in September, um, so I'm, really I'm giving you a little bit of a cheat sheet um, for when we ask this in a few weeks. So I really am expecting some confidence when we repeat this together in a few weeks. This is what the New City Catechism says about sanctification. It says, it is our gradual growing righteousness made possible by the Spirit's work in us. Sanctification is the result of God working in us and changing us little by little, or sometimes a whole lot at once. This is the definition of sanctification. But here's a few misconceptions of sanctification, okay? So the first one is this. A misconception of sanctification is that sanctification is the same as striving for perfection. It is not the same thing. Paul is not expecting the church of Thessalonica to be perfect. In fact, he says at the end of verse 1, which we just read, he says, just as you are doing, so being obedient to the Lord, do so more and more. He doesn't say, be obedient to this point of perfection or be obedient to a certain end point. His instruction is simply to just grow on our own. Instead, it is only by being unified through faith in Christ Jesus, who lived that perfect life, that we are able to count his perfection as our own. And even while we are still counted as holy, yet we are still sinners in a fallen world, right? We still need the Holy Spirit to continue to sanctify us in our walk with God. We need the Holy Spirit. So whether it means being fully sanctified or continually sanctified, we cannot do this outside of God's work in us. And this is somewhat paradoxical paradoxical in that God reckons us as acceptable. He makes us his children. He counts us as righteous. But because of that righteousness, we then spend a lifetime becoming what we already are. And it's our obedience to the Holy Spirit and growing to be more like Jesus and to love like Jesus that it becomes the evidence of already being sanctified by Christ Jesus. And that is Paul's instructions to the church of Thessalonica. So our big idea this morning then is that followers of Jesus grow more and more to be like Jesus and to love like Jesus. Followers of Jesus grow more and more to be like Jesus and to love like Jesus. And so we're going to make it really simple this morning. Our first point, essentially what we're going to do is we're going to break down our big idea into two points. And our first point, the first half of our big idea is this. Followers of Jesus grow to be more like Jesus. Followers of Jesus grow to be more like Jesus. I'm going to read verse 1 again. Paul says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus... That as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, 
just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Paul makes here an appeal to the church to continue walking to please God just as they are doing. His tone in this letter is very, very different than in some of the other letters that he has written. If you remember doing our series on on the book of Galatians, uh, we remember that the the words and the tones that, that Paul used in that letter were very strong, very much in a rebuke or correction. But his tone here is not that way. Instead, these are words of encouragement. Paul was encouraged by the church and what they were doing. And it's important that we do not gloss past this because the church, they were doing really, really well. They were enduring in the midst of affliction. They were spreading the gospel to Macedonia, to Achaia. They were turning away from idols. The church of Thessalonica was doing well, and Paul was indeed encouraged. And I think in the same way, here at Redemption, we are doing well also. We're working hard to be an example in our community, to be an outreach to those around us. We're welcoming visitors and encouraging our neighbors. We started the pantry which devoted itself to providing for the community, for those in need. We're supporting missionaries. 10% of our tithing is going to, to churches to help them grow, to help them thrive. We're focusing on family ministry, trying to improve our community. Our church is doing well. And we should be encouraged, that the, encouraged by the hard work that all of us have done, as well as our pastors and leaders and small group leaders. Our church and the church of Thessalonica worked hard to be more like Jesus and to love like Jesus. And if Paul was going to end here in this passage, we could all call it a day and grab our lunch early. But he doesn't. He continues in the end of verse 1 with the statement that you do so more and more. Essentially, Paul authentically, he encourages the church, but then pushes them to grow. At this point, Paul is asking the church of Thessalonica, where can you be doing more? Where can you be growing? How can you be choosing growth over stagnation? So Paul then continues in our passage this morning with three growth areas in becoming more sanctified in verses 3 to 6. I'm going to read them for us. So he says, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. So he gives us, in the next few verses, three growth areas. Avoid sexual immorality. The second one, exercise self-control. And the third one is to not wrong or take advantage of a brother and sister in these things. In the first one, avoiding sexual immorality, we see that 
our passage this morning puts a lot of focus on sexual immorality. We know that God has intended for sex to be something that is uh, enjoyed, something that is beautiful. It is a tool that uh, he uses to procreate and bring the gift of life into this world. Sex, by God's boundaries, is a good thing, but we do know that he also created specific boundaries around sex. And sexual immorality is a way in which we can sometimes take God's gift of sex and warp it into our own self-fulfilling and self-gratifying distortion. At times, we, we worship it, we can covet it, we can destroy or hurt others in order to have it. And sometimes this takes different forms. Sometimes it's being unfaithful in marriage, whether that be emotional or physical adultery. Sometimes it is not abstaining from sex before marriage. Sometimes it is looking at pornography, coveting someone's spouse. Sometimes it can be or start small, whether that be jokes that you share with a coworker or a flirtatious comment with someone outside of your marriage. It can be a wandering mind, a lustful glance. There's countless ways in which we can often be tempted or given to sexual immorality. And we see in our passage this morning, but not even just our passage this morning, we see that this is something that is taken very seriously by God. And in Ephesians 5, we know that Paul emphasizes that sexual immorality must not be named among the church as it is proper among the saints. The church should be known for pleasing God in its sexuality and the flourishing of life that comes from that. And it is when we do this that we set ourselves apart from the world. We make the decision to allow sanctification of the Holy Spirit to work inside of us. This can be a really hard task, right? We sometimes try to uh, push outside of the boundaries that God has set for glorifying him with sex. And I think it's important to ask ourselves, what are we doing to set ourselves apart from the world on this matter? Because that's what holiness is. That's what being sanctified is. How can we grow more and more in this area? Oftentimes, it requires seeking out the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, the wisdom of God's word, the wisdom of godly community, pastors, elders, or Christian family members or friends. And if you are today finding yourself in need of support in working through some of these things, I would encourage you not to hesitate to put something in the prayer request um, box when you fill out the info card after service, because God has indeed blessed us with um, a Christian community, a church in which we can lean on for support in some of these things. But when we're unsure of the lines between God-glorifying sex and sexual immorality, we cannot depend on ourselves or look to the world 
to set these standards. And we know that because Paul says in Romans, he says, he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So abstaining from sexual immorality, that is the first one. He continues then to talk about exercising self-control. He says in verse 4, he says that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Paul speaks in regards to self-control by speaking about maintaining control over the passions of lust. And I want to talk a little bit about the, the literal Greek translation here of lust, because we oftentimes, sometimes, well, we sometimes think about lust as more sexual, but the literal translation here in this passage is a desire or craving or a longing for something that is forbidden. We think about this in terms of sexual immorality, but it can also extend further than this. The same Greek word is used in Romans 6.12, where Paul says, Let sin therefore not reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Sin comes with a cunning desire or craving attached to it. That same craving or desire in which Eve saw the fruit and she desired it. And with a lack of self-control, we choose sin because it looks beautiful tastes incredible, and yet it is rotten to its very core. And it consumes us, often brings us to ruin. And so these passions, they definitely include sexual immorality, but they can also include other sinful passions. Things such as a greed for success, for status, for money. It can include gluttony for food or anything else that can be consumed can include a sinful anger, hatred, or violence. Really, the list goes on. So Paul instructs here the church to maintain self-control in all things. He says in verse 5, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Those who do not know God choose to pursue whatever passion they desire. But we, however, are instructed to train ourselves to pursue that which is glorifying to God. So we have abstaining from sexual immorality, exercising self-control, and now we have the third one, which is to not wrong or take advantage of a brother and sister in these things. Sexual immorality hurts everyone involved, and it oftentimes comes at a cost. And there can be this misconception that unfaithfulness doesn't hurt anyone as long as no one finds out. So whether it's pornography or having an affair with someone, it most certainly has an impact on the people in the affair as well as the people outside of it. There's no such thing as an affair without consequences. And we see that often the cost falls on the one being immoral, but many times it falls on those around it. In marriage, the spouse is the one who is hurt by the other's unfaithfulness. We see trust is broken, insecurities are created, shame begins to unfold. 
And when it comes to families, they're often torn apart due to divorce. Children become collateral damage in the brokenness. And I'd like to think that the Big C Church doesn't need to worry about this, but we do read the news. We hear stories of this happening within the church, within the leaders of churches. We see this happen over and over again. And Paul, in our passage today, he reminds us that, he reminds, sorry, the church of Thessalonica that there is an impact that this can have on others. We see in verse 6, he says that God will avenge those who have been hurt or transgressed in this area. God makes it clear throughout all of Scripture that he takes these matters seriously. And Paul emphasizes this when he tells them that this comes as a solemn warning to them. It serves as a solemn warning to all of us as we remember that being sanctified by the Holy Spirit is not something extra that we can do in our walk with the Lord. It isn't optional. And the lack of sanctification in our life, a disregard for sexual morality, and a lack of obedience can have serious consequences. So while this is a serious warning to the church, I believe we can also take it as a comforting promise. I'm a huge fan of the Marvel comics. And if you are a fan, you might know where I'm going with this. Um, first of all, can I get a raise of hands who knows about the Avengers and the Marvel comics? Okay. All right, well, I'm going to explain it to you just in case you don't, but I'm glad to know I'm in good company. Um, so the Marvel, Marvel comics are essentially uh, a comic book um, a series of comic books about uh, superheroes who essentially fight crime, take down the bad guys. Uh, and I'm a big fan. I just actually started reading some of the comics. Um, it started kind of with the movies, and, and I've been reading some of the comics. But there's a group of specific superheroes that end up coming together, fighting with each other, um, fighting together against um, some bad people. And I think if Paul knew about the Marvel Avengers, uh, he'd have a lot to say about this. <laughs> because this team of comic superheroes who fight to protect the world from all kinds of evil, they're so cool, first of all, and you can't help but cheer when, and get excited when they take down the bad guy. And imagine having someone like the Hulk or Spider-Man or Iron Man on your speed dial to right any wrongs that you might have come your way. If you're familiar with the movies or comics, you know that the Avengers, this team of superheroes, while they did a lot of good, they were far from perfect. They're also fictional. Sorry to disappoint some of you. But they really are, as great as they are, they are non-comparable to our all-powerful, our omniscient, eternal Avenger in heaven. Amen? Our Avenger does not need to be called because he is always there. 
And yes, this should serve as a solemn warning, but it should also serve as a beacon of hope in knowing that we have an avenger who is always watching out for us. So while sanctification in this way, being sanctified, helps prevent us from hurting others, Paul reiterates an incredibly important reason why growth should be chosen over stagnation. Paul continues in verse 7 when he says, We are not called, God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. We know sexual immorality has a negative impact on everyone, but it also goes directly against the will of God and is calling for us. We know that we have the free will to disregard this sanctification, to choose stagnation over growth. But Paul says in verse 8, he says, Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives the Holy Spirit to you. Paul is clear in the beginning of this chapter, as well as in these verses here, that it is God who gives the Holy Spirit to sanctify us. And yet, when we are obedient to the Holy Spirit, we please God. But when we choose the other path, when we choose stagnation or to be disobedient to the Holy Spirit, that we make the choice to disregard God. Paul takes that very seriously. I believe we should as well. But when we make the choice to adhere to the Holy Spirit, to his sanctifying work in us, we become followers of Jesus who abound more and more to be like him. So that was our first point, is followers of Jesus grow more and more to be like Jesus. The second half of our big idea, and our second point this morning, is that followers of Jesus grow more in loving like Jesus. Because Paul doesn't just limit this sanctification to sexual immorality. He switches gears, but stays on the same track. He begins talking about brotherly love in verse 9. He says, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Paul encouraged the church in their obedience early on in the chapter, and now we see Paul encourages them once more in their already existing love for one another. He says, no one needs to write to you about loving others because you've already been taught by God to do this says, indeed, it's already what you're doing to the brothers in Macedonia. The church of Cephalonica was doing well in loving one another, and their love was spreading over all the country. In redemption, we also love people well. And I've been personally to a lot of churches, and I can honestly say that this church has made me feel so welcomed, so accepted, and loved. And I know that this love also reaches out to our community. It's not confined to these walls. And it resembles the same love that Jesus has for us and and how he showed it when he gave his life on the cross for our sins. Our church loves people and families, children, 
parents, single moms, single dads, college students, high school students, elderly, other churches, other people who do not know the Lord. We could stop here, and at this time, you could probably have a normally timed lunch. Um, We're going to go just a little bit longer. Um, But does anyone want to guess to see if Paul stops here in the passage? He doesn't. He doesn't stop at just encouraging the church. Instead, he says, how can you continue to love more and more? He pushes them more and more to love others. More and more, it's a key theme in our passage today. I really should have gotten us all t-shirts that said more and more. Um, it would have been so cool. Uh, but while the church, they, while they had shown so much love for each other and they had done incredibly well, enough for the word to have been spread back to Paul, he still encourages them to grow and flourish to be sanctified in their love for each other. So no matter how well we are doing as a church, we can indeed always push ourselves individually and collectively to grow more and more in our love for each other. And that is what sanctification is. Loving each other more and more to set each other and ourselves apart from the sin in our lives. So Paul provides Here are three ways in which they can be sanctified in their love for one another. Three ways in this passage. There are plenty of other ways, but these are the three that Paul mentioned. The first one is this. Being sanctified in our love for one another, it means living quietly. In verse 11, Paul says, he says, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. So living quietly. I've already sent this passage to my upstairs neighbors in my apartment. Um, They have yet to get the uh, idea. Uh, But Paul here in this passage, he isn't just addressing loud neighbors who stomp on the floor. Instead, he's speaking to those in the church who tend to create conflict. There's many ways in which we can see this in today's day. Maybe it's a nasty Facebook or Twitter post. Maybe it's being overly critical of a decision in the church. Maybe it's allowing political views to create dissent. And I like that Paul uses these words to describe brotherly love because he says live quietly, but he does not say live silently. Because everyone in the church, yes, should have a voice. And yet they can still use that voice to live quietly among each other. So it doesn't mean to be silent, but instead to use our voice to to not create conflict or dissent, but to lift each other up instead of tearing each other down. So that's the first one, living quietly. The second one means minding our own affairs. And this can be difficult when it comes to differences in our cultures, our values, our expectations. It's easy to feel like we know what is best for others or that we are the ones that know the right thing for someone else to do or for us to do. Um, And in many ways, we are a community working together, and it's good to help those who are in need. But sometimes we feel like 
someone is in need of our help even when maybe they don't feel the same way. We don't typically get into trouble minding our own business. It's when sometimes we mind the business of those around us that conflict arises. However, I want to be clear. This does not mean that we brush the sins of others under the rug or that we avoid the sins of our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we don't hold each other accountable because sanctification is not something that is just an individual thing. This is something that is collectively, collective as well. Sanctification takes place in the church as a community, and we do have a role in working together to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, to hold each other accountable. But in the context of this statement, Paul emphasizes the fact that often minding other people's affairs in a negative way can impede our love for one another. Maybe this takes the form of gossip or slander. Those are two prime examples. Or just hurting brotherly love within the church community. He's not instructing each member in the church to look towards their own self-interests. We do have to work together as a community in service and love for each other. But instead, what I believe he's saying in this passage is that really he's instructing us to mind our own affairs when we are tempted to impose, violate, or damage the affairs of other people within the church. So that is the second we've got. We've got live, um, live quietly, mind our own affairs. And the third one is that being sanctified in our love for one another means working hard and serving each other. Paul finishes his list by addressing the importance of hard work and not taking advantage of the support of others within the church. Paul was a tent maker. He knew the importance of hard work. But he also accepted financial support from the church as well when he was in need. Paul isn't trying to prevent people in the church from supporting and leaning on one another. Instead, he emphasizes that each person in the church should do their part to work hard as a community. The church, it's made up of individuals with various roles and gifts, and it's important that everyone does their part. Leaning on each other for support when we are in need is important. But taking advantage of that support is not loving each other well. Being solely a consumer within the church instead of someone who is contributing to it. Sometimes this doesn't look like just taking money or food uh, from the church when, when there's an opportunity to be working. Sometimes this can look like coming to church every Sunday and choosing not to be on a serving team or serving in some capacity when you have the opportunity to. And completely unrelated, but the pantry is next week, and they are looking for people. I think they need 30 people to help. So if you are available next week, Saturday, um, to help out, highly encourage you to. Just completely unrelated. But this could be a great opportunity to abound more and more in loving like Jesus. 
As followers of Jesus, they grow more and more to be like Jesus and to love like Jesus. And honestly, speaking from my own experience, this is not an easy thing to do. Growth is hard. Change is difficult. We want to be someone who grows, but sometimes it requires more work than we would like to do. But if that's where the Holy Spirit is taking us, then that is where we should go. Because that's what God is calling us to be. And the amazing thing is that we don't have to do this alone. We don't have to figure it out by ourselves. We've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit within us who guides us every step of the way. We've been given the gift of a church community of pastors and elders and leaders who can walk alongside of us. So sometimes it's as simple as just changing how we love people in the church. Maybe it's as simple as joining a serving team. Maybe it means creating better boundaries to protect ourselves from sexual immorality or other temptations. What is the Holy Spirit telling you today? So many of you in this room do such an incredible job of being and loving like Jesus. I've experienced, I've experienced and seen that myself. But what is the Holy Spirit asking you to do today or this week that will help you do this more and more? What is the Holy Spirit asking you to do to become more sanctified in your walk with the Lord and in your love for each other? Whatever this is, I would encourage you to do that. My prayer is that we would all be able to do that. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.